I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. Today, our footballing superiors, Manchester City, can finally call themselves back-to-back Premier League winners. We take a look at how they crushed all before them. Liverpool settle for a sad second on 97 points, so there's praise for them too, but none for the football club formerly known as Manchester United, who suffer a humiliating defeat against the ghost of Neil Warnock. It's goodbye to Chris Hewton and a look ahead to the Europa League final in the footballing hotbed of Azerbaijan, plus a great season in Syria A for Atalanta, and the panel pick their standout Premier League moments. Let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I'm joined by Mina Razuki, who has only just started talking to me again after I accidentally brought her into the office an hour earlier than she needed to be. We're back on terms, aren't we, Mina? Tom, it was dawn. I was here at dawn, (laughs) (laughs) just waiting for this podcast. And it's like, why are you so eager? What do you mean, why are you so eager? (laughs) Did you completely forgot you had asked me to come in early? We've all made errors, Mina. It was a very exciting week. My mind was Mm -hmm. discombobulated. I apologise completely but glad glad to see you for an extra hour (laughs) joining her we have jj bull as ever how are you jj i'm good tom what a what a season it's been yeah exactly (laughs) what a weekend of football yeah soccer action well it was a good sunday of of action oh it was great yeah it's a good week yeah it was great no it was good all all the all weekend friday night was a great result for aberdeen in the scottish premiership saturday was uh well, there were games on. I there suppose. certainly were, yeah, 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 yeah. Lots of football league fun. Completing our lineup, the boy wonder, Sam Dean. What's happening, Sam? I'm good. I was just saying to you before, but I feel like a lifetime devoted to football has been, you know, paid off this week. It's vindicated. Um, all that drama, all that excitement, it sort of makes you feel sorry for those who don't like the great sport of football. Yeah. Where were you this weekend? Uh, Brighton. Oh, I lovely, was there. Lovely for the uh, the title celebrations. Yeah. Excellent. Let's talk about that title. Some excitement earlier in the day when it briefly looked like we might have a sort of uh, day-long title race, back and forth fun, but the imperious Manchester City pulled away of Liverpool in the end, entirely worthy winners of the league. What has made them so good, JJ? It's a lot of factors. I think, apart from all the uh, the tweaks and tactical bits and pieces that Guardiola does, it's a mentality thing. And the way they've managed to... Uh, to, to Win the league again is unbelievable. It's I mean, so many, so few teams have managed to do the the back to back league win, but they've been held to nil nil games so often, and a little bit of magic has taken them over the line. And that's where I mean, Liverpool have drawn twenty times a season. That's where they've they were let down. But it's funny that you get to the end of the season, and then suddenly Vincent Company's hitting twenty five yarders. How are you supposed to? What are you supposed to do against them? They just have great players, a great squad, and players who don't work hard enough don't get into the team. And they have players like Bernardo, where Silva has been exceptional all season. Little bits of magic have really taken over the line, I think. 
Do you think there's anything significantly different about them compared to previous champions? I th- well, it's this uh, the way that Man City play is different to how old English teams have won it. So Mourinho won it with a very um, strategic uh, counter-attack, defensive kind of style. Alex Ferguson's teams were very counter-attacky. Um, sometimes they were they attacked they attacked well and nicely. And Leicester was just a freak. But this is all kind of like how a bit like how Barcelona played, how his Bayern Munich played. It's a bit closer to that kind of total football thing that it was after. And I love that it works in England. It's so fun to watch. The way they dominate games. I mean, they had I think it was seventy six percent possession against Brighton, which isn't amazing in itself. But other teams are so scared of them they don't even know what to do. And it's I, I, yeah, I'm really happy that it works in England. Good. Shows a lot of people wrong. A, a great personal triumph for you as well, JJ. Our boss Adam Sills said you celebrated City's second goal yesterday louder than he's ever heard you celebrate anything <laughs> in the office. JJ, uh, you've been outed. That's flat out not true. I have shouted <laughs> far louder. I remember the PSG game when uh, when uh, Barcelona came back against them. That was a loud shout. That was good. <laughs> what have you made of Man City? Mean I mean so much about what has made them good this year, as JJ alluded to, has been mental, hasn't it? I have to agree with um, with a lot of what you say, JJ. Which you know we've always disagreed about City, but everything that you've said is really, I guess, is spot on. And I'm just always right. <laughs> not sure about that. I have some question marks on Pep. But having said that, like you know, the tactical identity that they have, um, the fact that you know what one thing when they ask them is like, how do you not have egos in this dressing room? How do you manage this dressing room in such a nice way? You know. And he said, because there isn't an outstanding player. They're all outstanding in many ways, but there isn't that, how can you say, like a Ronaldo, a Messi, just the sort of one guy that sometimes when the chips are down, you'll turn to and be like, can you save us? They save each other. And it, and it's that question of it's meritocracy. You know, whoever, like it was Riyad Mahrez yesterday and, and his goal was nothing short of sensational. Um, and it, sometimes it's Edison. I mean, he's either assisting or pulling out a great save. It's the fact that it, you can always rotate and, you know, Kevin De Bruyne has been out, but then Bernardo Silva's come in and he's been fantastic to say, you know, to say the least. I think the fact that you can have this happy dressing room and that everyone is out there helping each other and that there isn't this one man they all turn to, the one man perhaps is Pep. And I love that about them. I think that's their greatest victory and that's their greatest achievement is the fact that it's a team thing there and you can't really point to one and be like, yeah, he's the reason that Man City. You can say that there's players that you know you, you sort of don't want to take out the team like Fernandinho. Um, maybe Aguero, but you know this is or Sterling, but this is a, a fantastically assembled team, and I think to have the fact that the pressure you have to win fourteen games in a row to keep away a Liverpool side, that I mean <laughs> is nothing short. I mean, if there is a greatest achievement for me, it's almost Liverpool more than City, um, just because of the stats, if anything. But they hold on possession, Pep. Um, they've gone through some trials and tribulations. They've actually faced some miserable times in Europe, whatever it is. But it's never stopped them trying to win. It's never stopped the psychology of them going forward. It is beautiful to watch um, for you know for ev- perhaps everyone involved. And I just think that they have, more than anything, they are a side that intimidates. They just go on the pitch. They don't even need to play a fantastic game. It's just their name alone. The presence of all their players terrifies the opponents. And that is the greatest achievement you can have at a football club, is to make your team the scary opponent. Right. It's almost a rotating cast, isn't it? Because last year seemed very much to be about De Bruyne and Sane. And this year it's been other players stepping forward, uh, Silva and Sterling. 
especially who's impressed you most at, at Man City this season, Sam? Is there anyone flying under the radar who perhaps doesn't uh, get the love that they deserve? I'm not sure he's necessarily flown under the radar, but Bernardo Silva for me, I think, is their. I think he's been their best player. I think Pep said as much last week that he's in his in his eyes, Bernardo's been the best player in the league this season. Um, the fact that he can play anywhere in the midfield, really, and anyone across the front line, I think, has really shown this season that he is an absolutely sensational player. And obviously, last year he came in and sort of didn't 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 really get in the team until Christmas, and even then he was sort of in and out, and he's often playing on the right and didn't look quite as comfortable. But this year, I think he's really stepped up to the plate, and particularly with De Bruyne gone. But as you say, I mean, this is this this is a triumph for the system, really. It's a triumph for having the most choreographed team in probably English football history that people can go in and know where exactly where to play, where to fit in. De Bruyne can get injured and you can just slot someone in there and they know the system. I it's think weird, that's... isn't it? Because it looks like it should be, it's really fluid, but it's not. It's so carefully choreographed mm. and high, like, highly rigid and strict. Everyone just knows exactly what they should be doing in certain situations that... Uh, I think there are pros and cons to playing that, though. Well, yeah, you need to have great players that can can do that. But then you have some teams that are like I think Liverpool are quite probably more fluid mm-hmm. in the way they play than Man City. But the way that to to make something look so easy and so uh, creative and random in in attack, when actual fact it's been quite heavily organised, is pretty special. There's one thing about Bernardo Silva this season. I remember the, I think the Man United game is probably the one that he stands out most for me when he moved from right wing to centre mid and then just changed the game, cut inside with that near post shot that beat De Gea. And then um, after that, he's just charging about the pitch, tackling everyone. Like yeah. He was, he was, he was um, about the 80th minute or something that he was at right back defending mm. yesterday against Brighton. Is it, is it too sort of simplistic to, to boil it down and go, City is a, is, a, is a team built on system and like wonderful coaching? Whereas Liverpool's obviously got a system too and wonderful coaching, but it's also relies on individual sort of brilliance more that there's a bit more as you say fluidity and sort of freedom where they can say okay Salah you, you've got the freedom to roam if you want and have a shot from 40 yards whereas City scored the same goal every single week and it's sort of it's sort of your classic sort of I would say fairy tale hero up against sort of um, a system that's been really well choreographed and uh, like a democracy in that sense I, I think there are pros and cons to doing it both ways it's, it's funny because I've been with a team that's I've supported a team that sort of tried both sides of the ang- of the way that going forward and I think the one thing of having a really beautifully choreographed and finely tuned team is that firstly they're always going to amaze you with the way they play it's easy it's easier to rotate you start creating a style so that youth players will then actually be able to know what the goalposts are when they want to come up the only issue I have against that is is perhaps when it comes to the opponent and being somebody you don't know, you lose that on predictability. And because it is so clear what you're doing that if you stop that, do they have the ability to change track and start doing something else? Do they have the freedom to oppose an opponent that they don't know very well and throw in something that they don't understand? Sort of a little bit like what's so interesting is the unpredictability in the tactics of, of Liverpool or the or the emergence of individual talent on certain occasions is perhaps the reason why they've reached two finals in the Champions League. Because whatever happens, you're not entirely sure how they're going to adjust and, and, and change to to well, ruin you, basically. You know, like Barcelona, they needed Origi to come in and the hard work combined. But when, whereas when there is a system that is so beautifully and finely tuned, uh, if something in it breaks down, and then you lose that element, I think. That's the only thing that when it comes to Europe, that's the difference between the two for me. I think City's, for City's football essentially leaves as little to chance as possible. Yes. And over a league season, that will generally 
over 38 games will generally win you the title. And you can see Pep's career is just built on league titles. In, Euro- in knockout competitions, particularly in Europe against elite opposition, there are more naturally more things left to chance because when Mo Salah's running at you or Song Hong Min's running at you, things can happen. You know, right. or, or Laporte can give the ball away cheaply and suddenly Spurs score from a counter-attack. Things can happen. So there's sort of more room for manoeuvre in that sense. I think that's probably why Pep's football... And it's interesting how... I saw a tweet about this, can't remember who it was, so forgive me, whoever's out there, if they are listening. But um, if you look at the two semi-finals of the Champions League, I know we don't talk about too much about that, but Ajax and let's say Ajax and Barcelona are the most sort of Cruyffian in mm. their philosophies in terms of more structured build-up play, more City-esque, whereas Liverpool and Spurs are a bit more chaotic teams. And I think it's interesting that that style of play didn't... The, 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 the Pep style of play, the Cruyff style of play, didn't win through against a more... Physical, fast, unpredictable opponent. Right. Both, and, on both yeah. occasions. and I suppose, I suppose for Spurs and Liverpool, on both occasions, there were teams slightly powered by emotion mm. last week, and maybe that's what you need more in uh, in knockout competition. Speaking of Liverpool, sadder mood on Sunday at Anfield. I did quite enjoy the stories of Wolves fans celebrating goals that hadn't happened. <laughs> yeah, to, by the uh, way, that's so mean to do that. Wolves fans, by all accounts, <laughs> like, a comprehensive mugging off yesterday, like lots of n- nasty, uh, nasty chants. Um, Credit to Liverpool, though. They, they've just been absolutely amazing this year. Do you think City's run would have happened had Liverpool not been so good? No, no. Pep said yesterday that without Liverpool, that's they're never going to get this far. And he said he even thanked them for... Which I thought was... <laughs> perhaps a little A little bit. But um, he thanked them for sort of driving City on because he said they would never have got that without that um, opponent sort of driving them the whole way there. I suppose you've seen it with Juve a bit in Italy, Mina. Presumably, if you're a brilliant team, you're much you're an even better team if there's a really, really capable team pushing you like Napoli were last season. Yeah, you also do better in Europe. Mm. Um, I guess that the, the difference is that I, I just look at Liverpool and I just think if I'm a fan there right now, I'd be... I, I would be so proud of a team that firstly has one of the top assist makers in Trent Alexander-Arnold that has the world, you know, the player of the year award winner in Virgil van Dijk that has two of the golden boot winners in Mane and Salah, yeah, that has the golden gloves award in Alisson, that has reached the Champions League final, that hasn't lost a game at home for two seasons, that has only lost one game this season and to not get over the line. I cannot think of anything worse, honestly. And, and the fact is, is that I thought that they spoke really well afterwards. Even the fans had come out and said, you know, like, there's nothing but love for this team. And obviously Manchester City are extraordinary. But there is no Messi without Ronaldo. Competition is everything. Competition pushes you to discover new ways. And the great thing, again, about Liverpool is the chaotic and madness ways is what I love about Klopp and what he's given his players is the freedom at times to not be held by any rigid ways of looking at things, but to have the freedom and confidence to react how they think is best, to think outside the box, to sometimes, you know, indulge in player quality and their own individual quality to get over the line. And and really, like, you've never looked at them in these last matches and thought to yourself, I, I genuinely thought that they would wobble. I saw that game against Everton and thought, ooh, when the pressure was there, you should have done more. But ever since then... And on so many occasions this season, Liverpool have just proved to be the real deal. Mm. Do you think, JJ, next season a team that wins the league will have more or less points than Liverpool's 97? I don't have any idea. It's so hard to work it out. You'd think it would have to be less because this season has been ridiculous. The the competition between the two, I really like it. That I agree they've pushed each other on. But then you'd think other teams would have to improve now in the Mm. summer because they realise how far ahead... 
Liverpool, Man City have gotten. And it could be that next year Man City don't score a 20 yarder against Leicester and they're held, and Liverpool don't get that last minute um, Jordan Pickford knocks the ball into his own net. <laughs> type thing Van Dyke smashed it in the air yeah, or there's an element of freakishness about what's happened to both teams isn't it it, it happened and there's no way your luck can, can go that long I mean Liverpool have got lucky quite a few times so have Man City and there's no way it'll keep going and all it could take is three games in a row where something doesn't go their way and one of them's in trouble and then another team comes up from behind and surges past them it's not um, you know impossible that, that that happens it'd be nice if it's another imagine there's three teams who are going for that many points that would be pretty cool well you would want it Manchester United to be one of them that's you know in, in and amongst everything but you just look at them and think oh, I, just, I don't see that happening it's yeah, fairly yeah. hard to imagine that being Manchester United on no, Sunday's exactly. evidence but of... then you think Spurs but then they've got to really spend a lot of money in Arsenal I don't know I think Spurs Arsenal and United will be better next season all they three will, of them yeah they, United... <laughs> we've said this before haven't we, we you know after the Leicester season it's like one. Well, all of these teams will be better next year, and I suppose they all were yeah, slightly. They were, yeah. I think Chelsea will be better. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, well, actually, they I can't might, buy anyone. Chelsea, Chelsea, Chelsea yeah, you're right. They can't buy anyone, yeah. and if anything, they're going to lose Hazard, so they're going to probably be relegated at this point. <laughs> but also, bold prediction. Not, not, I'm not saying that Leicester and Wolves are going to win the league, but Leicester and Wolves, I think, will be a lot better in a year's time, and they will be a lot harder for teams like Liverpool and City to play against. And I think across the league, the standard's going to rise a bit. And I mean, Pep said yesterday that. Liverpool and City have driven the standards up of this league and that's going to have a knock-on effect that I don't think the gap between Liverpool and City and the rest of them is going to be quite so big next year. I think there'll be eight or nine teams who will be better opponents against those two in the the individual games than there are this year. Never seems to last long in this country, like teams really, really dominating and no one being close to them, I suppose. Then I suppose no one's been built with as much money and sort of... But it is two of the best coaches in the world. I mean, perhaps two of the best coaches that we've ever seen. Um, I do think that we're so like the one of the things that the Premier League has is they're so lucky to have three of the best coaches of the world playing. You know, in Spurs, I think Pochettino is nothing short of a genius. Obviously, Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola, each with a different style, each with emotions, and and that's the one thing that this time I can say over Spain, over Italy, over France, over any league that you have. This is, this is the best coaching staff that I've seen. Not even mentioned Brendan Rodgers as well. <laughs> You're listening to the Telegraph Audio Football Club, part of the Telegraph Podcasting Network. To find more of our podcasts, just go to telegraph.co.uk forward slash podcasts. What about Manchester United? A fairly embarrassing result for them, losing to relegated Cardiff 2-0 on the final day. What's the most urgent business for them this summer? And would you keep Paul Pogba, abused by his own fans, of course, on Sunday? I think you can keep Paul Pogba, but you have to have an entirely different team around him that helps get more out of him. And you can't... I, it's weird. You could, on one hand, you could build around him because he's such a talented player. But on the other hand, if you build around him, he sets a terrible example for everyone else. So it's not the best idea. I think, Even if he does come good next season, to have been so stroppy and too, so in and out of form for the past couple of years that's a bad example exactly it's, it's even I mean a specific example was yesterday as, well we're recording this on Monday so when they played Cardiff the second goal is a throw in about 40 <laughs> yards out that goes straight through the box in about two seconds Pogba sees the guy that's going to get the throw in he scanned it sees he's there the ball goes to the boy behind him and he just sort of jogs back like I've seen players do that and I've done that in five aside in the 80th minute or something like that equivalent because he's just like ah it doesn't matter and he's Pogba thinking ah it's only Cardiff or is he thinking eh someone else will do it everyone's thinking someone else will do it someone else will take responsibility in that team I think they need to get a midfield if they 
the first thing I, I think I said this before, but the first thing you do with the money they've got is buy uh, someone like um, Adrissa Gay or Wilfred Ndidi, someone in midfield who can snap and win the ball, and then buy someone who's pure quality, Ruben Neves. They've got the money. It costs them heaps, but by that, and then maybe a centre back. They've got uh, they're linked with the Benfica guy. I've forgotten his name. Ruben Dias, I think is his name. Portuguese centre back. He's a great player. No, no, he's coming to us. Is he going to Juventus? Oh well, there you go. It's not happening. So is that just because he said so? But there's also like, no, we a are negotiating. There's also Matisse Delict, and they've got Van der Sar might be a good broker in the middle there to make that happen. But they need players who are captains, leaders. And you've got Neves, who is one of those. You'd have Delict's one of those. This is just pure pie in the sky making this up. But that's the kind of players they should be signing because if you buy a good midfield that's strong and can win the battle there, that makes the defence better straight away, even though it's Phil Jones and Chris Smalling. But you can still make them better by having that in place. They've got decent enough strikers who can score goals, but you can maybe bring Greenwood through. It's, it's about this, this next season will be another where they finish way below top two, but could be in the top four if they get it just right. But I mean, what, what do you expect to happen? With, with I, I think they need to destroy the club and start again. To destroy the club, <laughs> burn it down, burn it all down. I said I would sell every player. Maybe keep like Mason Greenwood was fantastic against Cardiff. I, I would do the same. I would just like if it was. Um, so one of my the best things you can do in like a game of football manager is go into a club that you know should be better and you just burn it all and you just get rid start of again. everyone. Start again, and it's way more fun. And Solskjaer, who likes playing football manager, has basically yeah. got the best real life version of that he possibly could. I know fun that would Honestly, be for him. Who, who would you keep at this point? I mean, you know, I, I'm not. I, I would keep De Gea. You know, I know that everyone keeps telling me that he's had a really Surely bad season. Surely you've got full out of love with Marcus Rashford, Nina. Marcus Rashford, I'd keep, but I'm scared that he's been a little bit tainted by the the n- negative attitude of all the players that he has around him. You know, I mean, barring that, I, I maybe I, I might keep Matic. Although, I mean, his his attitude has really been not very great either. It's not that Pogba's not a good player, but I remember at Juventus, the one thing that we all noticed when we were talking about him is that he's a guy who's great when the whole unit around him is working really hard and that you just allow him to indulge in the things that he knows how to do best. But if you ask him to take responsibility, if you ask him to be the guy, like people need to understand that he may be a real talent, but he's not a leader. And a leader isn't a guy who talks to you at halftime and and rouses the troops. A leader is also somebody who leads by example and actually knows how to pick up the game from the scruff of the neck and and give you what you need in both phases of the game. He is a midfielder. But he himself, in any interview that he's done growing up, whenever anyone said to him, who do you want to be? He wants to be Zidane. He wants to be Makaleli. He wants to be everyone. I don't think he knows. So he's just a guy who's really talented. But the best way to get everything around him and to get the best out of him is to put players around him who will be his lungs, who will be his fighting guy. And personally speaking, for me, that's a luxury player. So you either bring him along when you have a great team already and then you insert even more genius to it. But isn't if he's the starting point, I don't think it's necessarily going to work out for them. But I mean, Martial... Again, one of the greatest talents, one of the worst attitudes that I've seen. Alexis Sanchez, you can't pay players that much of a difference because that just creates disharmony in the dressing room as well. So, I mean, Woodward needs to figure this out because on every occasion... I, I just feel like they've gotten it wrong in so many different ways. I like that Gary Neville's got, started calling out the club for hiring his old mates just in these positions. Like he's sort of softly alluded to that they shouldn't just hire Rio Ferdinand purely because he was a but, but Manchester United me, player. Why would you bring Rio Ferdinand as a sporting director? I, I don't know. It's, Is this it's nepotism? It's not because ne- they've seen like Van der Sar doing it well, or Overmars doing it well at Ajax. So you're like, well, you must be able to do that. But you think in any other sensible business that is worth billions of pounds, you would go through a recruitment process that takes you months and months and months, not going, well, he knows how to play centre-back quite well. 
Yeah, payment. this is what I mean. I mean, if IAGs go through a really downturn, you know, it's the at the end of the day, you can just... If I'm delict and I'm trying to improve my career because one day I want to be the greatest centre-back in the world, why do I want to go to Manchester United? Who am I going to be trained by? Like, you know, with all due respect to Ole Gunnar, you know, to OGS, I'm not going to just say the name all the time, but with all due respect, why wouldn't I be part of a centre-back partnership that I don't know, or I'm being led by Cholo Simeone or Jürgen Klopp, who's turned Van Dijk, or I'll be somebody who's alongside Americ Laporte, or I'll be with Chiellini and Bonucci, Juventus. Why am I, who is trying to be the next best centre-back, going to choose to be a part of that defence? I don't know, Mina. <laughs> <laughs> I think with, with Pogba, this isn't entirely his fault, but it's partly his fault. No matter what happened, it's always going to be about him. When he's there, it's always going to be framed around Pogba or what's Pogba up to, what's Pogba said on international duty. He's a star and it's part of his appeal. It's it's quite similar to Urza at Arsenal in the way that, for reasons not entirely his fault, he's become the thing around everything. The conversation is framed around him, no matter what. And I think until he goes, that's never going to change. Really, even if they start playing well, it'll be oh, why didn't Pogba do this last year? Oh, wow, yeah. look at Pogba now, what a great player! Pogba, Pogba, Pogba. Yeah, but it's like Neymar saying, start, "Don't talk about me." You're, you're the star. You have to be judged by the highest standards. And I'm not he, sure that helps. You want to rebuild a new club? Nah, if you want was, to rebuild and move forward, I'm not sure it helps have a guy which everyone's going to be focusing everything on. I was thinking if he, if he was at City, he'd probably be a even though as talented as he is and the numbers he's got are quite good this year. He would be as bit part of a player as Sane has been because he just doesn't do enough and he makes mistakes at crucial times that you can't make. And I think a manager like Guardiola would appreciate his talent, would try to make him do far more with it, and then he would be on the bench a lot. But you can't have a player who wants well gets paid the amount he does sitting on the bench. Breaking news reaching us in the audio recording facility. Brighton have sacked Chris Hewton. This is a bit harsh, is it not? He got Newcastle promoted several years ago, did the same for Brighton, and kept them up. Do you think there's a method to the uh, seemingly harsh decision on the South Coast, Sam? Yeah, I I actually had this thought a few weeks ago that I think he might go. Um, The the results, results since the turn of the year have been really, really poor. I mean, the trend is very much downwards. And then you factor in the fact that Brighton have spent actually quite a lot of money in the last year they spent a decent amount of cash on players who really have struggled and have have not worked and those aren't Hewton signings but the fact that he's been unable to make those investments work is a black mark against his name I think and you can see there's a sense of I think direction that's probably missing under Hewton that he's done obviously brilliantly he obviously no one's going to question the job he's done there getting them up keeping them up for two years but it feels like everything's in place now for this club to move forward and kick on. They've got the most incredible training facilities, the stadium's in place, They've everything's there, ready to go. And under Hewton, I think there's probably a ceiling. And I think the club must have realised that. And obviously it must have been a hard decision. But you look at, for example, when Southampton sacked Nigel Atkins and brought in Pochettino. And at the time, everyone said, oh, that's so harsh, he's done such a great job there. But if you want to move on to a new direction, you probably need, to a different level, you probably need to get somebody who is fresh ideas, perhaps more modern in their thinking. I mean, look at someone like Hassan Hutto at Southampton. I mean, there's no way that Brighton haven't looked over there and thought, wow, look at the way he sort of galvanised that club. Why can't we have a bit of that? And I just think that's probably what's worked against you in that. He, they're stuck in his, he's stuck in his way. He's not in a bad way. His ways are very effective and they've done a great job for the last three years, but I'm not sure those ways are going to take them onto the next level and Brighton are now ready to do that. And you want, you want to approach the next season with a a positive attitude so you come into it thinking we're going to be able to do this this year rather than thinking well we're going to survive these players are going to make us survive because that means I mean they were definitely on the way down I think next season they hadn't changed it does seem harsh in Hewton 
Um, but if his level is keeping teams just up there and they haven't improved at all for ages and ages and ages. It was interesting yesterday. I, I haven't been to a final game of Brighton season before. Um, so I don't know if he does this every season. But at the end of his press conference, he sort of stood up and hovered for a moment. And he sort of, it was a, quick, a moment of sort of awkward silence. Well, it's like, like his whole plan. I'm imagining him literally <laughs> levitating here. He sort of hesitated before leaving and then he sort of looked at the sort of the, the mob beneath him, which is us journalists, and sort of said, oh, well, thanks so much for all your, you know, your coverage this season. Um, you know, have a great summer sort of thing. I must return to my and, home planet now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but just, I mean, he might do that every year, in which case this whole segment of me talking is completely irrelevant, but... You think he knew? In hindsight, I think he, that, sound, that looked, looked, looked a bit like he was saying, all right, cheers, lads, I'm off. Sad day, sad day. Arsenal finish a point off the top four into the Europa League final, obviously, as we will discuss later. Not a bad return for Emery's first season? Uh, no, obvious signs of progress, um, particularly the way he's got, like I said, and Aubameyang firing in the last few months. I mean, those two are elite strikers, and to get them both playing so well together is, I think, a considerable achievement on his part. Um, the issue for them is they, they've dropped some stupid results. I mean, they, Arsenal finished two points off third and they lost at home to Crystal Palace at Easter. I mean, if they hadn't lost that game to Crystal Palace, they'd have been third, which I think, and they also drew it home to Brighton last week, but the context was different because they'd lost that Palace game and it lost their, lost their control of the top four. So if you look back, that was a game that Mustafi gave away, I think, all three goals. Yeah. And you look at that and think, hmm, <laughs> mm, if only they'd managed to sell him when they tried to two summers ago and last summer, um, maybe their season would be very different. Speaking of Crystal Palace, a very entertaining game between them and Bournemouth. As Sam Wallace forecasted on our Thursday podcast last week, that's why, with two of those goals, Mina, could he be an important player for Chelsea next season in light of this potential transfer ban? Well, considering the way that it's gone for Morata and then Iguain, it just seems like it's not really working out with them and their strikers. Um, and I think that Batchwai, the thing with Batchwai is, is I think that what he has at Crystal Palace is the it's just such an effective unit. They are they have literally been the team that have terror or scared you know Arsenal out of the top four. They've done damage to Manchester City. They're a side that when they are at their attacking best, they are so beautiful to watch. And especially if one of them's angry, like Wilfred Zaha was, you know, over the <laughs> last... <laughs> that assist was unreal. I mean, it? it was just like, he just didn't care if he was going to have to run through a bus, you know, at this point. It was like, I'm going to get there. I'm going to get that assist. I'm going to win. And and you see all of them with Juan Bissaka as well, who was, by the way, why was he offered all that space on the right? But anyway, you know, as a unit... It's perfect for a striker like Batshuayi, who is somebody who's improved in his technique, who's somebody who holds up the ball better, who who gives to the team. But when he's surrounded by all that pace, you know, perfect passes, creativity, and an attacking unit that has the courage to keep going, um, I think it works out for him. I don't know how it would work under the tactical rigidity again, because we're looking at Chelsea, which is a team that is run by a philosopher who has very clear ideas on how he wants things to go. He's had to adapt this season because he needed to get over the line and he needed to qualify for Champions League. But I don't know whether next season he's going to fill each player with so many tactical instructions and whether that might just hold back the, the, the individual individual talent of certain players. But certainly if I'm Chelsea, I want him back in my team. If you were Chelsea, would you rather have him or Tammy Abraham leading your line? Tammy Abraham at the moment. Mm. What about Watford, JJ? A 4-1 defeat to West Ham in their final home game of the season, presumably with at least one eye on the FA Cup final this coming Saturday. Do you give them any chance of beating City at Wembley? Um, because it is a knockout football game, absolutely yes, because you can hold them 
quiet for most of the game and it just takes one bit of luck and or a set piece or something like that. Uh, Man City were talking about after the game that they are the smallest team in the in the league, so there's every chance that Watford can do damage from a free kick or a corner or something like that. But you'd think City will control the game. They're on a real high. They're desperate. They sound desperate to win this FA Cup and do the treble. So uh, it's, it's, I'd think no. <laughs> yeah, first ever domestic treble would be some achievement. Yeah. Right, let's do a quick fire season in review. I'm going to go left to right and then right to left. Five questions. Give me your answers quickly. Oh, wow. First one. Golden Boot is split three ways this season. Who would you rather have in your team next season, Sam? Salah, Mane or Aubameyang? Um, Salah because he's both a creator and a predator Nina Mane because he can do it in every high pressure match JJ Mane I think he's ridiculous well mm. take that out Bamiyong. JJ <laughs> manager of the season ideally the person who's done the best with what's available to them rather than just saying Pep uh, okay, <laughs> you can say Klopp. That's really upsetting. I mean, now. <laughs> it has to be Guardiola for what's achieved. But it, I mean, Jurgen Klopp clearly right next to him, and then I see Rafa Benitez below that. Mina Rizuki, I suspect you. Disagree. Wait, you just left out Podge, who's reached the Champions League final like, with, with Premier League, no, Premier League yeah. achievements. Oh, um, Klopp. Nuno. Nuno. <gasps> Good one. Shout. Good one. Um, we all had high hopes for quite a lot of players going into the season. Tell me, Sam, who has disappointed you most this season? Uh, Jean-Michel Serri has been very disappointing at Fulham as has Ryan Sessegnon but I'd also like to nominate I've given you three answers now uh, Matteo Kovacic at Chelsea who I thought would be really fun and exciting everyone talks about him a lot but he's just really boring Mina? I mean that's just so harsh like on Kovacic what do you mean what do you want him to do like wear a wig? I want to do something rather than just walk around and play five yard passes no goals no assists nothing I think he's right about Sarri. Sarri, I think, for me, has been the biggest disappointment because we just genuinely thought that this film side would be something special and instead it was like a, a, a falling apart. <laughs> and JJ? Um, I'd say someone like Lukaku or just the entire Man United team. Alexis Sanchez, it's just so, it's a, he's dreadful. But you I kind mean, of knew that, though. Yeah, I guess so. There's a sadness to it, though, isn't there? Like yeah. To go from being such an exciting player, like one of the top 20 best in the world, to just... Nothing is, is well, quite sad to watch. I think he's either lost his golden magical boots or he had a whack on the head that he originally got back in the day, which is why he was good in the first place. And now he's had another one and then his magical powers have gone. They're not a sorry, a sorry tale of the human condition. Or, or, when your legs go, your legs go. Or a story from a comic book, one yeah. of the two. Who took you by surprise this year? It could be a team, a player or a manager. JJ? Uh, Wills were a lot better than I thought they were going to be. Absolutely great. Nina? For me, it's Juan Bissaka. But I also want to give a special mention to Danilo, who only ever makes a, a few appearances here and there for the likes of Real Madrid and, and Manchester City, but has walked out with a trophy cabinet that's bigger than any great player that I know. So I, I think he's a good luck charm, so well done him. Sam? Uh, Iose Perez. Okay. Thought he was rubbish. Turns out he's not. Good, good answer. <laughs> Finally, give us a left field or unexpected prediction for next season, Sam. Leicester break into top six. Mina? Chelsea come second. Love it. JJ? <laughs> um, I think Wolves in the top six. That's a bit uh, That's not unexpected, is it? <laughs> uh, I think, if anything, Wolves will finish much worse than last year. Well, because of Europe will distract them. Europe, one thing. I think, secondly, it's exhaustive tactics that he plays, so that might have a, a toll on the team. There is a thing about everyone has seen them now, isn't there? Like when and that isn't, up, that's the yeah. third reason, unless yeah. he can figure out a plan B. But I've never, I mean, I love him, and don't get me wrong, but it's always been a plan A guy. 
So I wonder whether the plan B will be good enough because it seems like people have figured it out now. I, I feel like also money. Liverpool might not be as good next season, but then they'll win it the season after that. Wow, long-range prediction, Oof, JJ. Yeah. Let's talk about the Europa League final. We covered the Champions League on Thursday's uh, episode. So uh, let, let's get on to this one, which actually is happening before the Champions League final. So very appropriate. Arsenal playing Chelsea in the footballing hotbed of Baku. Who's going to win it, Mina? Fast forward if you want. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) Arsenal. Arsenal. I actually think it's Arsenal. I mean, I look at Hazard and I think he's the one guy that could just make this all change, you know. But then you look at Arsenal and I look at Unai Emery and I feel like he's got this mad determination to do something, to prove something. And he is very good when it comes to these competitions, Where, whereas, you know, you, you felt that against Eintracht, perhaps Chelsea weren't at their best, whereas I didn't really, really doubt Arsenal along this way. So they get my vote. It's quite fun that it's effectively a, ch- a Champions League playoff, isn't it? Like a, the team that wins gets into the Champions League. Well, Chelsea have already got Champions won't. League, haven't they? No. <laughs> Graham soon asked my pen. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, absolutely busted you there. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Last show of the season. See, no Premier one rates Chelsea. And it shows. Yeah, yeah, no, no I've really Chelsea. underrated Chelsea. And they like, I think Sarri's done really well. <laughs> I mean, he's done better than most people. Yeah. And it's Ar- his first season. <laughs> Arsenal, I think, have hit higher heights in terms of performance on a more frequent basis than Chelsea, where they've also hit lower lows. Like Arsenal, when they're bad, are really, really, really bad. When they've been good, they've been, I think, better than Chelsea had been at any point in the season. So if Arsenal played to their maximum which they have done against Chelsea already this season at home I think they all win I think because Emery has won trophies in the past he already n- knew how to set up a team to win a final and has has experience of doing it several times because he loves the Europa League I think that's what they'll get them over the line because Sarri hasn't won anything ever so he doesn't know how to do it Why have both sets of fans been given so few tickets, Sam? Is it it about 6,000 each? Yeah, the reason that the allocations are so small is because Baku Airport has been deemed unsuitable to host or sort of, you know, facilitate more than 15,000 fans. Not playing the game at the airport, are they? Uh, You have to get to the country, JJ. (laughs) Yeah, let's all drive in via um, Baghdad, I think it's the nearest city, whatever it is. Um, But yeah, it does beg the question why... Is it there? The and home of football. <laughs> yeah, the home of football. I mean, I've been to Baku before. It's quite nice. It's a good stadium, but there's it's absolutely ludicrous that there's a final. I mean, some of my colleagues are flying via Doha to a European final. And what is that? <laughs> what, <laughs> what is going on here? Um, and it's just a shame because that's going to be a massive game. So will the stadium be full? Who's, yeah, who's going? Um, it's given 39,000 right, and also 39,000, I think, to sponsors. Yeah, that'll be all the usual sort of so, corporate right. crew. Yeah, well, I wonder how it some of the corporate crew will be. No, and if the airport doesn't accept these, are, are we assuming all the sponsors are from Baku? Because I'm assuming most of them will be from the outside anyway. So if you're only giving 6,000 tickets to each set of fans, then 39,000 are still traveling in. So what's the airport going to do with those 39,000? Mm. The whole thing, it just, I mean... what because I can't imagine all the rest of them will be local fans, you know, who are just really interested in watching this game. Like you said, it's a country that most people associate with Asia rather than Europe. And you just feel like at this point that, are you doing anything for the fans anymore? Or is this like, it's a bit weird. Like one, there's only one direct flight from London and that's 
I think every Saturday. So you have to go for a whole week <laughs> in or, order to go yeah. watch this game for 90 minutes. Or in my case, 1am flight to Istanbul and then like a seven hour wait for the next one. But um, and this is all obviously before you mention um, the Mkhitaryan Price. situation. Yeah, exactly. Where you've got a player who is Arsenal's, I think, third highest player. He's Obviously, he's not had a great season, but he's important. He, he would absolutely play whether that's off the bench or starting. And he can't go to the country through fears of security over the whole club. I mean, how can that be a reasonable place to host the European final? It's, it's beyond ludicrous. No, because when you think about Kiev, also they have stuff with Russia, right? Mm-hmm. There is that, like bad diplomatic relations between quite a few European countries. I love the use of stuff. Uh, <laughs> they've got a beef. <laughs> like when you're, when you're choosing back, you're probably not thinking, you know, there's the one, you know, diplomatic relation that they don't have is with Armenia. You probably wouldn't think about Mkhitaryan at that point, you know. But the year they chose it was the year he won it with Man United. So it wasn't like it was like unfeasible that an Armenian player could do it because it just happened. I think it, it'll give it a sum it all up is that Set Blatter has come up and suggested that money might be ruining football. <laughs> 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 My God. <laughs> it was far better when he was ruining football. <laughs> <Yeah>. It was. <laughs> Let's have a song for Europe with our friend Mina Rizuki. Mina, your favourite, David Wagner, back in a job at Schalke. How's he going to do there? How is he going to do that? Well, obviously, he's going to do terrifically well. This is a man from Huddersfield. <laughs> um, it's interesting, actually, because considering that we associate Wagner to Borussia Dortmund, who are obviously the greatest rivals of Schalke, um, I think that what they really need right now is is a project, considering the disappointment of the season. I do think they were doing tremendously well under T- Domenico Tedesco, but unfortunately, he couldn't make the most of what he was offered in terms of uh, by his sporting director. And to be very frank, the players were terrible, so he wasn't given that support. And sadly, he went, and they need a rebuild. And the best one to do it is David Wagner in many ways because he, he knows the city, he knows the the style of football required. He is somebody who loves to play offensive football and start a plan and he'll be involved as well, I would assume, in helping scout the players and put down foundations going forward on how he wants this club to be run because for so many years now, they're just either trying to qualify for Europe or near relegation. There's just no, not been any consistency and perhaps he can just bring that. What about Bayern Munich also in Germany? They just can't seem to get this title over the line. I know. What do you think that means then? But then to be very honest, I feel like Lucien Favre is also and his Borussia Dortmund side haven't been able. I feel like both of them don't really want to win this. So it's all going to go down to the wire. Um, I, I do obviously hope and little, say a little prayer for Dortmund just because for something different. But uh, for Nico Kovac and his career going forward, they probably really need that win. Meanwhile, in Italy, Atalanta make the Champions League. Does Syria uh, have its answer to Gatev? <laughs> By the way, you did that just to say Gatev, right? I'm sticking with it. <laughs> because with all due respect to Getafe, yeah, they are a very nice side, but they do not have the history or even the longevity that Atalanta have, who've, who've been founded in 1907. Thank you very much. But what Atalanta is, is one of the greatest academies in terms of teaching footballers. They have created some of the best talents in the world, from Roberto Donadoni to obviously Gaetano Shirea who is captain, leader, and, and, and offered his name to Juventus. No, I'm not offered, but Juventus have named their Curva after him because he was the greatest sweeper that Italy ever had. Um, and 
this is what Atalanta is. They're a team that invests a lot in everything they have into their academy to produce the talent going forward. And then obviously they distribute and sell that off. And that's the way that they make money and they reinvest that back into your their youth team. What they have now is a genuinely insane coach in Gasparini, who's just fantastic in every way. And they are Ajax, basically, who are now actually you know, have incorporated some great talents, a little bit of experience, Duvan Zapata, Papu Gomez, you know, Ilicic. And they're just the highest scoring team in Serie A and they're fantastic. So they're not Getafe, they're Ajax. Finally, I'm going to ask you all a question we asked our friends on social media, which is which moment from this season will you never forget in the Premier League? Uh, This is going to be an interesting bit of audio because I'm going to describe some pictures that people have sent us on Twitter to uh, answer this question. Uh, Manan Monga has sent us a picture of the ball just about not crossing the line when Man City cleared it. Yes, that's what I was going to say. On my birthday on the 3rd of January. Well, we'll get into it. Uh, With a a Liverpool (laughs) emblem and uh, no title underneath it where it says no goal. Brilliant. And uh, Rob Marr, THFC, has sent a picture of our Bamiyong, I think that is, missing the penalty uh, or penalty Mm -hmm. being saved by Lloris at Wembley. Um, Mina, could you reveal which moment you will never forget from this season? Well, I was going to say it was the 11 centimetres that stopped. That stopped. It was at Salah who was trying to get the ball over the line. 11 millimetres, I think. 11 millimetres. John Stones. That was it. It was John Stones. It was the the game between Man City and Liverpool. And it was the difference of 11 millimetres that probably ensured that City won the title. What have you got, Sam? Oh, and and company's goal. Sorry, that's got to be mentioned. I think this year will forever be known as the season when Wayne Hennessy got cleared of making a Nazi salute by not knowing who Hitler was. (laughs) Yeah, it was an unusual moment. JJ? (laughs) Um, Vincent Company's goal was so so cool. The uh, the way that when he stepped, I was watching this at home, and even at home, I was thinking, "Don't shoot!" Like what are you playing at? And, and as soon as you, I even I said it out loud, talking to no one in my house, and uh, and when he launched it, the, I love those. If that hadn't been a net in front of it, it would have gone through the stadium and uh, continued <laughs> travelling to this day. I love the power he got on it. That the. the the symbolism of it, you know, the captain comes up and then he needs to rescue his pals and everyone's telling him no. And he's like, well, I'm Roy the Rovers, I'm going to show you. It was perfect. I'll always remember that goal. Can I give a special mention also to Mike Dean for hiding the match ball up his shirt when Aguero scored that hat-trick? Yeah. Can we also like man. extend it and just uh, to cup competitions and talk about Kepper and, and Sadie's like, you know, moment of madness was my favourite. <laughs> yeah, that was a lot of fun. Uh, I think... And no one's asking me, but I will say, I think I agree, I think I agree <laughs> I with you. Yeah. I think I agree with you about the company goal, JJ, but I would have remembered it more if Gary Neville had said what he says he had considered saying, which is, Vincent Company, you little dancer. If he had said that, I think that would have been my favourite <laughs> moment of football the past five years. We have had some lovely emails from you this week reacting to our week of podcasts. It's not too late to tell us what you've enjoyed from us this season and what you want more from us or less indeed next season. The address, as ever, is afcpodcast.telegraph.co.uk. Ross Riddle says, Tom with an H Gibbs, he wrote it out like that, congratulations on another excellent year. I love your weekly podcast and I was happy to hear it every day this week. JJ Bull is always great. Matt Law adds some cranky dad feeling to the podcast and it is so good to hear Lady Penelope and her song for Europe. I'm not quite sure I'm having that nickname for Mina Ross, but thanks just the same. 
Meanwhile, Jeremy Azorio in Brisbane uses Mina's proper name and writes, I enjoy Mina Rizuki very much and most of your guests because they speak well and fluently without what I call teenage banalities and comments intended to be funny or witty that just make me switch to another channel. Thanks very much, Jeremy. Let that be a lesson to you future guests. No attempts at wit allowed. That's your lot for this week. You can contact me on Twitter as ever, at Tom with an H Gibbs. You surely know the email address by now, afcpodcast.telegraph.co.uk. We'll read out the best of what you send us in what remains of this season. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Just look for Telegraph Audio Football Club wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Joel Grove on the buttons. Thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. 